Welcome to Talking with the Animals, an exploration of animal communication. Join animal communicator, craniosacral therapist, and NES practitioner Caroline Pope as she discusses how to understand other species as they truly are, not just from the human perspective. That's right, Mecco. Discover how communicating with our four-legged friends can open up a whole new world for both of you. And now, your host and Australia's most recognized and well-known animal communicator, Caroline Pope. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking with the Animals, covering all things animal communication. Thank you for the reader feedback, always appreciated. Thank, due to an email that I've had with a question that I get asked a reasonable amount, I thought we'd cover it today, is training from the animal's perspective. Now, one of the main things that animal communication does is sees things from other species' perspective, or at least it should. And what we call training certainly comes into this. Why we want something done from our perspective can be very different from the animals and a lot of what people do is often have unrealistic expectations of an animal for example um, litter training with cats is quite a big one and a lot of people don't like cleaning cat litter which I can understand but if you don't like cleaning cat litter don't have a cat It's pretty simple, really. Now, often people have mentioned these devices where an animal or a cat is expected to um, wee into essentially a toilet, a human toilet. Now, whilst that may be convenient from the human perspective, it's completely unrealistic from an animal's. They're weeing into water because that's what's in your toilet. Now, they don't normally do that. Animals will all drink from the same water hole. They don't defecate or urinate into it. So this is a completely unrealistic expectation we have to try and teach our cats to do this. Uh, Recalls, very important. Uh, Always very good for a dog to have one. However, the amount of people that have their dog for less than a week or take on a foster dog and for some reason they all head down to the off-leash dog park and let the dog off. And this is where they find that the dog either has aggression issues or doesn't come back to them. They may have done a couple of recalls at home, but if you've had a dog for a week or less, it's completely unrealistic to expect it to be bonded enough to you to come back when it's called and these are the sorts of things that we regularly do first of all look at why why you want the animal to do a certain thing and put it back to what would naturally happen now a dog will come to another pack member so a recall is not only realistic it is completely necessary But look at then the methods of training. A lot of people use choke chains still. In some countries they have been barred. Put one round your own neck or even your wrist and give it a good yank. 
Choke chains or correction collars and prong collars are known to cause nerve damage, thyroid damage, and a host of other problems. There's been a lot of documented evidence for them. Now, my personal suggestion is always a harness. They're not going to damage the dog's neck. People say to me, oh, I don't want to put a harness on my dog at pools. My answer to that is, why haven't you taught the dog not to? Most people seem to want to put four to five minutes a week into a dog, training-wise, and expect it. One of the comments I always used to get when I did a lot of professional training was, oh, you're so lucky to have a dog like that. Well, I hate to tell you people, luck had nothing to do with it. Hours and hours of work between the dog and myself was what caused it. It's no different to a professional sportsman versus an amateur. It's time. The other thing that most people don't look at with training dogs is pain. Pain is one of the most underdiagnosed things in animals. Someone will say, oh, she doesn't want to sit because she's a bad dog. They've never taken it to a body worker. So many dogs I see are sore. They don't want to sit because it hurts. Instead of labelling something as behavioural, always, always, always check for a physical cause. I've mentioned in a previous podcast, if someone tells me their cat is spraying, I will not see or talk to that animal until after it's been to the vet for a urinalysis because about 50% of the time the cat has a UTI. Now you're never going to be able to train in inverted commas a cat or a dog out of a physical problem. You always need to cover these first. Now, some dogs will take to some behaviours quicker than others. Take, for example, lure chasing. You have a sight hound. That's what they're bred to do. Always look at what your cat or dog's natural instincts are. You're never going to be able to train a cat out of killing birds. That's a hardwired instinct you may well be able to modify that behaviour, but you'll never eliminate it completely. In the same way with dogs, beagles are always going to have their nose to the ground because they're a scent dog. Sight hounds are bred to chase. Greyhounds are the best example of that, but you've got borzois, wolfhounds, deerhounds, afghans, or salukis, all of the sight hounds. Now, they in particular will take very well to lure chasing. They love it. But be aware if you are training a dog for lure coursing. You can't then expect it to ignore a little white fluffy in the off-lead dog park. The behaviour is the same. You are the one that sets the dog up in the two different circumstances. Be aware that just because it can do it in one instance doesn't mean it's acceptable in another. In the same way, people give a puppy a shoe, an old sneaker, something like that, to chew. You can't give a puppy that and then complain when it chews someone's really expensive sandals. You have given that puppy something to chew. Or as in the case with one Great Dane I remember very well, used to have puppy wee pads 
as a very small puppy. They were reading the age in the years where the weekend age was very, very thick. And the dog stood over it and weed. They couldn't complain. They'd used newspaper as a puppy pad when the pup dog was very young. The behaviour is identical. It's the age that's changed. So think very hard. Is this always going to be an acceptable behaviour? If I am choosing to stimulate one part of my animal's behaviour, what other aspects of its life are these going to affect? Look at horses. I remember having a, um, shall we say, somewhat robust discussion with some people at a pony club about the use of whips or spurs. A horse can feel a fly. So if you need, in inverted commas, to use a whip or use spurs, my answer to you would be go back to why. Why is it that the horse doesn't want to perform? Most horses I know are very happy to be ridden. How we ride is a completely different scenario um, with this so-called collection and all these things that we've done and we're breaking horses down. If you've had several horses and you've retired them all by the age of 12 or 14, have a good look at yourself and the way you ride. A horse should be able to be ridden into its late 20s. If you're not able to, And every horse has individual injuries and so forth. But if you are regularly offloading horses, you need to look at why. Why are you doing this? Now, of course, as with dogs and cats, the first thing you need to rule out is pain. It may be poor saddle fit. It may be the horse has a sore back for other reasons. It may be neck stuff, quite often is. Or it may be stomach or hind end ulcers. No horse is going to want to perform with those. If your horse is bucking with the transition from a trot to a canter, there's every chance it's not being a bad horse. It has sciatic nerve pain. Again, look at why. Why we are asking an animal to do things. No animal will ever make life difficult for itself it will always take the path of least resistance. If we are asking our animal to do something and it doesn't want to, are we being unrealistic with our expectations? Have we made things clear enough? Does the animal genuinely understand why we are doing something? What it is expected of it? And of course, the other thing with animal communication is the pictures we send out in our head. If you're calling Fido, but mentally assuming that Fido's going to go off and chase the ducks and go for a swim in the dam, there's every chance Fido's going to pick up on that and go, woo-hoo, you want me to swim in the dam and chase the duckies? Gold, I'm off, and we'll go and do so. This is why so many trainers do so well, because they have such clear visuals in their head of what they're expecting the horse or the animal to do and the animal then picks up on this very easily and goes oh okay so when I get to here this is what I do always always be aware of what uh, feelings and emotions and pictures you have about your animal if you're afraid of riding 
Go and sit on your saddle on the saddle horse and start visualizing there and watch what comes up. If you're afraid when you're walking your dog down the street, you think your dog doesn't pick up on that? If you're worried about dogs attacking your dog, other dogs are going to pick up on that as well as you. So always monitor, check in with yourself and be aware of what pictures you're sending out because they truly will impact what your animal sees and what your animal does. listening to Talking with the Animals. To learn more about Caroline and the services she provides, visit caroline-pope.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Caroline Pope Animal Communicator CST and NES Therapy. Are you ready to change the way you see your world and the animals in it? Well, we know his answer. Don't forget to subscribe and see you next time. <laughs>